It's great to uh, be uh, with you again this morning and we're going to continue our series in 1 Timothy. We're very nearly there. We're, um, I'm looking in chapter 5, I think Santino a few weeks ago. I looked a little bit later in chapter 5 than we're going to be looking this morning. We're going to be looking at advice about widows, which is a little bit of an interesting subject, but I know there's a lot in there for us to look at. Before I do that, I um, just want to highlight something, and I want us to pray for a situation um, that's happening this week. Tomorrow, at about 8 o'clock in the morning, is it tomorrow at 8? A coach load of about 50 of our young people are going up to Norwich, to the showground at Norwich, to join thousands of others in having a week-long camp uh, where they're going to encounter God, they're going to receive some great teaching, they're going to be so well-fed, they're all going to put on a couple of stone, I imagine. It's, it's not going to rain, it's only going to be sunshine. Um, they're going to have a great time. Um, what I'd love us to do, church, can we stand and pray that God will mightily bless them? Can we pray that God will bless the youth leaders um, as they go, that he protects them all, that the young people have a great time and they meet with God? So let's just raise our voices very briefly together and then I'll close in prayer. Lord, we ask you, would you bless our young people? Lord, would you be with them as they go? I pray they'd have a great time away. Give them good weather, protect them from any uh, (coughs) accidents or difficulties. I ask you, would it be an outstanding week where they meet with you? Lord, I thank you so much for our young people. I thank you that we have... um, 50 or so going up uh, tomorrow, Lord, we we say we are so much richer because they are with us. And I ask you, will you so bless them over the next seven days? I ask you, Lord God, that among our own ranks there be those that come to know you. I pray, Lord, among our own ranks there be those that get healed. I pray, Lord, they grow in their knowledge and their understanding of you. I ask you that friendships will deepen, Lord God. Life decisions will be made for good. Will you bless them? prosper them and do them good. We ask that in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Excellent. Have you been enjoying the Olympics? It's been good, hasn't it? Inspired by the Olympics, um, myself and the four boys were in the park yesterday doing running races. And it was quite a worrying experience for me because I came to the conclusion that probably this year or maybe being pushing it next year will be the last year where I am the fastest (laughs) in the family. And uh, my 12-year-old son is only just that that behind me when I'm going as fast as I can. And by the end of it, my legs are raking and I'm puffing and panting and all that. But, But he did say as we walked away, you know, sort of this family moment, we walked away, he said, Dad, you're just like Usain Bolt. And I thought, well, you know... Me, Usain Bolt up there, but hardly any difference at all, I'd imagine. (laughs) Oh, should I finish there? We're going to have a coffee. (laughs) We're looking at 1 Timothy chapter 5, and, and we've been doing it for quite a while. The theme of this letter is that the gospel leads to practical and visible change in the lives of those that have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. You cannot be plugged into Jesus Christ and remain the same over the long term. It may take a little bit of time for fruit to appear, but if you're following Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, there will be an impact on your life. You cannot have a heart transplant and stay the same. You cannot be changed from the inside 
and remain as you were before. And that's exactly what Paul is telling Timothy, who was leading the church at Ephesus at the time. He's saying there will be practical and visible change within the life of the church. Now, not everyone grows at the same pace, and we don't all look the same. You only have to look around the auditorium to see that. We're all very, very different, and we may have different struggles But as we get connected into Jesus Christ, and I don't know if you're aware of this, but when you became became a Christian, it wasn't you just made some decision and that was it. You got joined to Christ. It says you were included into Christ. It's as though you were um, like a page, an individual leaf, piece of paper. You were included into Christ. Whatever was true for Christ is now true for you. So when he died, you died with him. And the power of sin in your life was broken. When you were buried, you were buried with him. When, you were, when he rose again, you rose with him to a new life. And the power that raised Christ from the dead, do you know this? The power that raised Christ from the dead is now at work in your life. Now, it may not always feel like it on a Monday morning as you drag yourself out of bed and as you shout at the children, uh, shout at the children but it is true. You've been united with Christ. And therefore, there is practical and visible change in our lives as we walk on with him. Not because we try really hard, but because we've been plugged into Jesus and there is a change in our lives. Now, as I said this morning, we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 5. It is a little bit of an odd subject, but I believe there are some really important, valuable principles that we can learn and look at and apply into our church situation. Honouring widows, providing for widows, was an important role from the church from the very earliest days. Right back in Acts chapter um, 6, verses 1 to 4, we find that the church took responsibility for caring for widows, who were probably the most vulnerable uh, segment of the community, or of the church, of that day. So we, we, we read frequently, don't we, that um, some of the, in, in Acts chapter 6 that some of the widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And the apostles said it wouldn't be right for us to set aside reading the word of God and prayer to uh, wait on tables to care for these women. So we're going to appoint seven excellent men full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit and they are going to take that role on for us. And so often we take these verses and we apply them to the fact that as, as an elder in the church, I need to give myself to preaching of the word and to prayer. And that is absolutely right. But the other half of this passage and something that we probably don't often emphasise is the fact we also need to make sure we are caring for the most vulnerable members of our community on a day-by-day basis. And it's wrong if we overlook that. We're picking up very similar sentiments when we turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. So we're going to pick it up in verse 3. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions too, so that no one may be open to blame. If anyone does not provide for his own for his relatives, and especially his immediate family, he has denied the faith and he is worse than an unbeliever. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60 
has been faithful to her husband and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the saints, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list, for when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things they ought not to. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have in fact already turned away to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has widows in her family, she should help them and not let the church be burdened with them so the church can help those widows who are really in need. Lord, I ask you as we look at this passage, will you uh, come by the power of your spirit? I pray, will you anoint me, help me to communicate effectively? I pray, help us to be good soil, good receivers of your word. I pray, even with the warmth, will you help us to stay awake and alert? I ask you, will you, your kingdom come? Will your will be done? We pray, Lord God, over the next half hour, I pray. Amen. Excellent. The primary concern for this passage is to identify which widows should be provided for in the church. <coughs> Paul says, you know, give proper recognition to those widows who are genuinely in need. And there seems to have been a list of widows in the church at Ephesus which indicated who the church was going to take long-term responsibility for. There was this list, and I think if, if, if a widow was on this list, the church had made a commitment to long-term provision, possibly until death. And so Paul is identifying which widows should be included on such a list. And that is, that in a sense, that means some widows were not included on the list, for one reason or another, and we're going to look at them as we work our way through the passage. That's not to say, and this is where I get all my words in a, in, in a, in a tangle, it's not to say that if you were not included on the list, you would receive no help. I don't think the passage never says that. It just says there seems to be this grouping within the church that received long-term care and provision from the church on a day-by-day basis. That's as best as I can understand from what is in front of us. So as we look at this text, I'm going to break it down into about four or five sections, um, depending on how I go on the way through. So the first point is this, don't neglect the needs of the poor. Whether it's as a church or whether it's us as individuals, we shouldn't neglect the needs of the poor, um, those that are among us. Give proper recognition to those who are really to, to those who are really in need. It is right for the church to support the. It is right for the church to support the poor. It's a reflection of the very heart of God. In Isaiah chapter one, um, God is talking to the people of Israel through this prophet Isaiah. And it says, look, the multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? Says the Lord. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my ears from you. So they were praying, they were offering sacrifices in worship. God didn't seem to be overly enamoured by it. But then he comes to the heart of it. He says, seek justice, encourage the oppressed, or rebuke the oppressor, which is quite a, a thing. Rebuke the oppressor, defend the cause of the fatherless, plead the case 
of the widow. Right the way through the Bible, whether it's in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, God is concerned about the poor and the vulnerable in society. He is not disinterested when it comes to those who are needy among us. He is very, very interested. And people can be poor for a number of reasons. It might be um, economically poor. They don't have enough food, shelter or clothing. And you may say, well, you know, maybe in the third world, but not in the UK. Not not my neighbours. No, yes, exactly your neighbours. You see, when someone is spending most of their money on covering their rent, they don't have enough money for food or clothing. And there are children in our town who are going to bed hungry at night. There are. So there are those among us who are economically poor. There will be those who are oppressed. Those who don't don't have a voice for themselves. Maybe they've, they've, they've always been taught not to speak up. They just don't know how it is to get out of the situation they're in. They may be caught in debt or caught in some crisis or maybe they are caught in in some poverty trap, not, not due to mistakes they have made themselves but due to oppression or the unrighteousness of other people. So you find people in that situation and obviously the Bible would also talk of those who are salvation poor those that don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. And so you find the poor in in, in various different settings, in various different ways, and God has a heart for all. He really does, church. Is there an amen there? Because I know that many of you know that. Many of you are convinced of that. Amen? Amen. And you're definitely going to have to up your amens. One, to encourage me, and two, to show me that you're still awake. In Luke chapter 4, verses um, 18 and 19, many of you who've been around for a little while, you'll know these verses very, very well, but I'm going to read them out to you. This is what Jesus said. This was like his mandate. This was his mission statement at the very beginning of his ministry. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the... To bind up... You're doing better than I am, I'm now looking at it. <laughs> to proclaim freedom for the... Well, my Bible says prisoners, captives will do. Recovery of sight for the blind. To release the oppressed. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. That's right at the very heart of what Jesus came to do. The gospel is good news to the poor. And it isn't purely a verbal gospel proclamation. Now that is essential, that needs to be in there, but it isn't just that. The gospel needs to be demonstrated in power, in signs, wonders and miracles. It also needs to be demonstrated in acts of mercy and kindness as well. All of it goes to be the gospel message and it needs to be a reflection of who we are as a community and who we are as individuals. We never want it to be only mercy ministry, Without any understanding, without any gospel proclamation, both need to go together. Otherwise, people don't understand why we're doing it. But we need to pick the appropriate time to share why, why we are doing the things we are doing. And to talk about this wonderful saviour who absolutely laid himself bare for us, gave everything for us, that we could be made rich in his sight. Amen? The gospel is good news to the poor. It really, really is. We mustn't miss the obvious that is before our needs, before our eyes. We need to give proper recognition to those who are really in need. Jesus was frequently moved by compassion. We need that compassion to flood our hearts as well. Amen? I think all too often, I just lack compassion. I'm too busy, 
I don't look. Sometimes I choose not to look or to listen. Often I'm judgmental. I'm shaped more by the media or what they would say. Oh, well, they, they possibly deserve it. Maybe, oh, they've probably done things that are unrighteous. Je- Jesus doesn't point these things out. He has compassion. When he fed the 5,000, did he get them to fill in a questionnaire first to check to see if they were deserving? Would there have been rich people there? Probably. He just fed them all because they were hungry. He healed the sick. We must be careful, church. So first thing, that's the first point. Second point is immediate family provide help. If you read verse 4, if you read verse 8, if you read verse 16, Paul is quite hard-hitting in this stuff. I mean, I, I must admit, I gulped as I was preparing because of some of the things he says. But he says, look, he says, if you have people in your family and they are in need... You need to demonstrate your faith in Christ by caring for them. So whether that's financial provision, whether that's emotional support or friendship, whether that's giving them a meal, actually, if we have immediate family in their need, we need to step in and provide support. And actually says we do that so they will not become, firstly, a burden on the church. Not so that the burden is free, eh? we don't have to, but the church doesn't need to worry but it's actually so that the church can really help those who are in need and left all alone. The SV Study Bible says this, provision for one's own family is a spiritual issue of the utmost importance. Failure to live out the gospel in this way is tantamount to denial of the faith. To say, I trust in Jesus but do not take responsibility for my family is tantamount to denial of the faith. You're saying one thing with your words, but your actions are demonstrating something completely different. Now, I I know that it's it's difficult sometimes to find work and all sorts of different things. So it's not in a sense of saying, oh, it's not necessarily easy, but you're looking as God provides opportunity to play your part in providing for your family. If you're out of work, your number one concern is to try and find work. That's that's what the Bible would say you need to do. You need to try and find a job so that you can provide for yourself, provide for your family, and actually, hopefully, provide for others in need as well on top of it. That's the way the gospel works. In our day, it's so very important that we honour our parents. It is important. I think we live in a society that dishonours the elderly, We're blessed with amazing welfare provision, which is a real blessing from God, but that doesn't mean that we then lose our responsibility. We need to care for those as well. Amen, church? It's very, very important. Third thing, the individual puts their trust in God. So Paul is very clear. He says, church, you need to give proper recognition to those who are really in need. Church, you should care for them. But what about for the individual who is in need? Where do they look? Where is it that the individual is to look if they are really in need? Anyone want to shout it out? To look to God. I mean, again, I find this... this, um, In some ways, I think it's absolutely brilliant. It says, look, church is to take responsibility, but the widow is to look to God. She is to put her hope in God night and day, is to pray and ask God for help. She isn't actually to focus on the elders. 
She's not to focus on the church or her community group or the pastoral deacons. No, she's to look to God. So she looks to God and says, oh God, will you provide? But the church takes responsibility and provides. Can you see? I think, it, I personally, I think the Bible's really good. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think God's wisdom is excellent. Because I think it's so easy for us, when we get into a time of need, when we're looking, uh, when, when we're in difficulty and we're trying to work out what do we do next, so often we don't look to God, we look to something around us. And it may be the church, or, or it may be our workplace, or it may be close family members, and it's, it's, it's not wrong to find some help from there, but ultimately, where do you put your trust? Where do you put your trust when things are difficult? Paul says, you put your trust in God. If this is my trust, I've got my trust contained in here. Where do I put it? Do I put it in my work situation and my boss? Do I put it in my family member? Do I, do I put it in my own abilities? Do I put it in my friendships and that support network and being included in my peer group? Where is it that I put my trust? And often, often the case is we don't really know where we've put our trust until it starts to shake. And it's, if you've given your trust to your workplace and then your job starts to look un, 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 unsafe, you suddenly realise, I've given my trust in the wrong place. I need to give my trust, I need to put my trust in the one that is unshakable. Not Rob, just to put your minds at rest here, it's not some odd thing I'm coming out with here, but we, we put our trust in God. And so often, and I think there are probably, well there are definitely, with this number of people here, there be those of you that your trust is being shaken. And it's possibly because you've put your trust in the wrong place. You've given it somewhere else. And it's an opportunity as it shakes for you to think, no, I, I need to put my trust in who? In God, who is the unshakable rock on whom I stand. And so often we don't realise until a crisis comes along that we hadn't put our trust where we thought we had. And sometimes crises are opportunities for us to realign ourselves and say, no Lord, I trust you. And I find, this is just my, my frailties, apologies, my frailties, I find I can move my trust back to God and if I'm not careful, within about two hours I've taken it back again. I suddenly find I'm worrying again. And for that widow who cries out night and day, is it easy for her? No. It is a battle of faith. That's why they say it's a battle of faith. She is fighting. Every, where is my food coming for for tonight? Where is it coming from for tomorrow? Will I have shelter over my head? She puts her trust in God. And fourthly, I think the other thing I notice, and this sort of runs from verses 9 to 15, and I'll be fairly brief on this bit, but it talks about living a fruitful life. And I've, I've touched it already, but... 
I just want to emphasise it again. If you look at verses 9 and 10, you, then, you, you see a whole amazing list of character qualities. Th- these, these women who are included on this list of widows are absolutely exceptional women. I mean, there's an age-related thing, so they've got to be over 60, and certainly 2,000 years ago, if you made it to over 60, you were doing really, really well. She, was, she would have been very elderly and very frail, so there was an age thing there. She, there's no chance of her getting remarried. Probably she had no chance of trying to find any money for herself, so she was really at need and she was on her own. But then you look at some of these other amazing things. She had been faithful to her husband. She had a reputation for good deeds. She cared for children. She showed hospitality, washing the feet of the saints, helping those in trouble. And what I love about these verses is... <coughs> You see the whole body of Christ working together. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about the church being a body. And all of us are part of that body, and we've all got a part to play. You may be a fingernail, you may be a bit of ligament, you may be some blood going around, you may be skin or hair, you may be that bit quite close to the manky toe, and you're sort of wondering, where do I quite fit in? But you're part of the body, all with a part to play. And I think these verses illustrate again how the body's to work in the fact that you have these, these dear ladies who are in great need and it's a bit like if you hit your thumb with a hammer, your whole body knows it hurts. It hurts, it's painful. And I think in some ways these widows were a little bit like that in the sense that the church felt their pain. They'd lost people who were dear to them. They were left all alone, they had no provision, they had no way of funds or anything like that. And the church, the body, reached out and said, let us support you, let us provide for you in quite, in quite an amazing way. Can you see that? Part of the body's suffering, so the whole body swings around to bring support. But actually, if you read about these women, they are outstanding women. They are also playing their part in the church and making the church better for being there. Bringing up children, and and commentators say it could have been their own children, but more than likely it wasn't. It would have been orphans and children who were all alone. They would have been supporting them in that situation. situation. They had a reputation for good deeds, showing hospitality, helping those in trouble, washing the feet of the saints. These women would have been amazing to have around. They, They... They were devoted to God and they were devoted to the church. And you see 1 Corinthians 12 in operation in this passage. In one way we support them, but they are such a rich blessing to us. And I think in whatever situations we find ourselves in, whatever needs we find ourselves in, I think we all have a part to play. We all have something to bring that makes us better because you're bringing it. And I always say that to people when they're looking to join the church. I am so looking forward to you joining us because we will, as a church, will be better and stronger and healthier because you're joining us. Because you have something important to bring. There'll be more diversity, more richness in us as a church because you are here. And you see that in the church. These women were fruitful women playing a part and bringing such blessing to the church. We then move on to verses 11 to 15 which I guess in some ways may be a little controversial, but really nothing in comparison to some of the verses we've been looking at in 1 Timothy. Um, I think that it's still about a fruitful life. What Paul is saying in the context of his day, for these women who are younger, in a sense is provide for yourselves. Don't become a burden for the church too early. Get 
Get married, have a family, provide for yourself. In, in our context, in our day, what would that mean? Well, find a good husband, find a good wife, if there's one around... Great, go for it. But actually be productive, be fruitful in your life, in whatever setting that might be. So it might be that you're struggling to find a job at the moment. Well, still be fruitful and productive. Find out if you can do some voluntary work. Find out if you can come and volunteer up here. Help us out. Be productive in whatever setting. I think um, some of you will know a a slightly older lady called Vera, who works um, on reception. Of the, of the church office, she must be, uh, oh, I doubt she's over 50, but, um, um, but she comes up two or three mornings a week and is such a blessing to us. She plays her part, she, she does what God is calling her to do and it, it does us such good. And so whatever gifts and talents God has given, you've got a part to play. You need to be fruitful and productive in our lives. And actually, this is if you're slightly younger in the spectrum, it's interesting how Paul says, you know, look, for, for, for some of these younger women, or younger men it could be um, in a different setting, you know, if you're not busy and if you're not productive, you become idle gossips and busybodies. And I think particularly for younger people, it is good for you to know what it is to carry weight. So if you are under 30... 39, you're younger... If you're under 39, you're definitely on the young side. It is good for you to carry weight. It is good for you to, what, I mean, actually be busy. Be so tired at the end of the day, you've got no energy left to moan. That's a good way to be. You know, just don't have, carry it, make sure it hurts a little bit. Make sure it's a difficult weight to carry. It's good. If you've got too much time, it leads to sin, often. So what's the application for us as a church? We need, church, we need to care for the poor. I'm so thrilled that a few months ago we set up the food bank. And Jeff, could you just come up and just share a few, just a few stories of some of the things you've heard about and some of the things that God has been doing. But we as a church need to care for the poor. And as individuals we need to show compassion as well. Up you get, old man. <laughs> journey now for nearly four months Um, and in that time I could give you lots of statistics about the number of people we've given food to and so on Um, but I'm not really a statistics man in that way. Um, We've been building relationships with different agencies and I think it's quite important to listen to what they're saying. Uh, Agencies are those that give out the vouchers and the people come up and redeem them for food. Um, A lot of the agencies are saying to me This is something that's been needed for a very long time. It's really wonderful what you're doing. It is so helpful. And I think they're saying that to me, but it's important that you hear that because you are on this journey with us as well. We are all part of it. We are all a team in this. They tell stories of the sort of people that they're working with. They tell stories of expectant and new mums, from the very young to the quite mature who have no one to stand by their side. They're on their own. There's no man to take responsibility for the child. There's no mother, you know, the mum's mum, to stand beside them. They're completely on their own. Often they have only the clothes they stand up in. Everything that made them secure has been swept away. They talk about older people 
people in their 80s who have no family structure below them to look after them, the sort of structure that Paul was talking about earlier. They're on their own. Even the neighbours, and I can remember as a child, my grandparents visiting older people to check they were all right. None of that is happening. And when they got in contact with, the old person has nothing in their cupboard at all. They're laying in bed without the strength to do anything about it. We hear stories of families. that When the agencies go in to start work with them, they open the cupboards and they're bare. They are empty. And they go to great pains to tell me exactly what they mean by empty. And that means absolutely nothing. It doesn't mean that you open your cupboard and there's something there, but I don't really fancy that today. Or it's been put there because your wife doesn't want you to get fat or whatever. You know, there is nothing there. It is completely empty. And they have no money. They talk about people who've fallen between different benefits because they've been appropriately on sickness benefit for many years, appropriately on sickness benefit, but all of a sudden they are fit to work. But because of what made them on sickness benefit, they still can't go back to the old job they did, so they're unemployed. But when they go to unemployment, they're told they have to have no money for three weeks. They're walking in that sort of situation. Um, People being made homeless. Single people and families being regularly made homeless. This is the sort of thing that we're impacting on. And I think it's important that we know that as a church, we are impacting that. This isn't me. It's the church. It's the Christians of Hastings. And it is known, it is known as the Christians of Hastings that are doing this. And it is seen by the agencies as a very important thing. A very important thing. It says in Isaiah 58 that if you turn your heart to the poor, then your light will shine. The light of the church is beginning to shine. And I think it is just the beginning. I believe it is just the beginning. Tremendously just the beginning. There is more and more to do. And we will become known as the rebuilders of the paths. Read Isaiah 58, verses 10 to 12. Really important to me in in this journey that we're taking. Um, We're restoring hope and directing people to a future. So I want to read a book. church we we need to care for the poor within our own ranks by extending further more broadly and I believe God's we, we've stepped into this four or five months ago and we're playing a part with other churches in the town so that's a brilliant working in partnership but God's got much more for us to do The gospel was never meant to be word only, but seeing the deepest needs of the community transformed by the grace and love of God.
Should we stand and we pray as we close? In Galatians chapter 2, Paul talks about continuing to remember the poor. And he said it was the very thing we were eager to do. Lord, I pray as a church, would we continue to remember the poor? Lord, I pray it wouldn't be in word only or tipping a hat to it. But I ask you as a church that you would make us very good at transforming and seeing lives transformed by your gospel of grace. I pray, Lord, that we would overflow with mercy and compassion and kindness and love. I pray, Lord, it would be commonplace for our hearts to be moved with such great compassion and for that to affect our money and our time and our emotions. Lord, we see a town and we see towns further afield, Lord, that are so in need of your love and grace. And we say it's such a responsibility to know that we're your ambassadors. I pray, Lord God, will we play our part well? Would you empower us as Holy Spirit, you empowered Christ. I pray, would you freshly empower us? And I ask you, Lord God, would it never be viewed just as a a segment or an arm of the church, but would it be something, Lord, that pervades every person in the church, every one of us? Would you touch us afresh with compassion? I ask your compassion. Would we be moved? Would we not be indifferent to the need of those around us, but would we be moved by your love, we pray. We ask that in your precious name, Lord Jesus. And the church said, Amen.